Chapter 6 this morning, and we want to consider uh, verses uh, 19 through 24. Matthew 6, uh, 19 through 24, uh, lay your treasures up in heaven is what I've entitled the message here. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for your word now. Minister to our hearts, help us to see clearly and apply diligently what you're teaching us in this text. And uh, just pray for grace for me to teach it accurately and clearly. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, well, we are in Matthew, and the theme of Matthew is Christ the King. And we have worked our way down to chapters 5 through 7, the pronouncements of the king, proving his judicial right to the throne, as it were, as seen in his uh, wisdom kingdom teaching. Now, uh, as we think about a little background to where we're at in our study this morning, John the Baptist was the forerunner of Christ, who went before Christ to prepare the way for the coming of this divine human Messiah. And John's message was one of repentance. The way people were to receive the Messiah was with repentance. And when Jesus came on the scene, he introduced his ministry by saying, quote, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 4, 17. Thus, John and Jesus were totally consistent. You see, the way to the kingdom is by way of repentance. Those who go into the kingdom are the repentant. Well, for those repentant, Jesus then explained how they should live as really evidence of true repentance as found in chapter 5 through chapter 7. Their lives are to be characterized by the descriptions given in the eight Beatitudes and also in the six antithesis statements uh, presented by Christ, which really uh, show the the deeper intention of the law. It's really not just an outward external matter, but really a matter of the heart that then works its way out in the life. Well, that is followed up in Matthew 6 by emphasizing the true piety. A true uh, religious, if you will, service to God is not a matter of outward show. It's a matter of the heart related to praying, uh, related to almsgiving, related to fasting. It's not to be about showmanship. And we studied this last week. Uh, You have that that pivotal teaching on prayer, uh, what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer, which is better known as the Disciples' Prayer because Jesus could have never prayed some of that prayer, such as, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And we know why Jesus couldn't have prayed that prayer, right? Because he never trespassed. He never sinned. And one of the standout things that we looked at last week in that prayer is this very issue of forgiveness. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me just as I'm willing to forgive others around me who are sinning against me. And it's such a big deal that Jesus put a footnote on it, if you will, in chapter 6, 14 and 15, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. So we're talking about a a child of God already. We know God is our father, but he says, if you forgive men their trespasses, your father will forgive you. You mess up in your walk, uh, God will forgive you and you get back into fellowship with God as you are willing to forgive others. But he says, verse 15, but if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. You want to be right with God? You have to be forgiving. Uh, We are called to be a forgiven. We are a forgiven people who are to be a forgiving people. And that is 
emphasized strongly in terms of the quote-unquote Lord's Prayer as we looked at last week. But the key idea here is that in all of our piety, whatever we're doing, almsgiving, uh, prayer, fasting, uh, it's not to be about external showmanship. It's to be rendered as unto God from the heart. Well, that brings us to Matthew 6, 19 through 34, where the issue now is our attitudes towards material possessions. Um, it's very convicting. Uh, you know, I, I'm always convicted to the core when I study th- this stuff. And uh, today we want to look at Matthew 6, 19 through 24 regarding uh, laying up treasures in heaven. Uh, Matthew 5 through 7 has been called the greatest sermon ever given. It was given by the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, it is certainly one of the most convicting sermons ever given. Uh, If you can study through the Sermon on the Mount thoroughly and not be convicted, there's something seriously wrong. Uh, I'm not sure what it is, but uh, there's plenty of conviction here uh, for sure. And we don't want to have false guilt either. There is a balance in the scriptures, as, as we will note as we go along here. But notice what Jesus says here, Matthew six nineteen: Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. You see, there's a background here all the way through. Jesus is, is really rebuking the Jews and their false hypocritical piety. And so in the background here is the Jews had a major fascination with material wealth. You see, the Jews had a little saying that went like this, whom the Lord loves, he makes rich. Now, where did they ever get that idea? Well, they got it out of the Old Testament scriptures. And and you do understand that God did promise a prosperity gospel in the Old Testament scriptures. That if they walked with God and they obeyed him, God would pour out a blessing so great that they couldn't even take it in. So they were looking at those Old Testament scriptures. And they would point to examples like Abraham. Was Abraham a, a, a poor man, homeless, as it were? I mean, kind of landless, <laughs> but, not, but uh, had, had great riches. How about Solomon? And we could go on and on. Lots of examples of, of men of God. Great Abraham, the father of, of the faith. Uh, the father of the Jewish nation. Uh, wow, how, how did it go for him? They would look at these kind of examples and say, see whom the Lord loves, he makes rich. Now it is true that God did promise his people Israel physical blessings for obedience. Uh, they are uniquely an earthly people, as it were, with unique earthly blessings which accrue to them on the basis of obedience. But they were not obedient, and their hearts were consistently not in tune with God. And the great command was to love the Lord your God with all your heart. To love God supremely, and out of that the blessings of God would flow. That's the the paradigm. Uh, You love God supremely, and God will bless you supremely. But the spiritual leaders in Israel really lived in contrast to that. They didn't really love God. Uh, here's what Jesus, or what the scripture says concerning the Pharisees, uh, the religious leaders. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts for that which is highly esteemed among men. Oh, you know, uh, their whole mentality, uh, it was highly esteemed, like these are their esteemed religious leaders. But yet they were lovers of money, not really lovers of God. 
God knows your hearts, he says, for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. You see, these religious leaders had a heart problem. Uh, They were lovers of money, not lovers of God. Now, Jesus is addressing a heart issue that puts money or materialism before God. That's the issue. The problem with laying a treasure for yourself on earth is that it is not secure. Uh, It's not safe. These things don't last. Part of the human problem is that we have this propensity, this tendency to kind of fall in love with stuff. Now, we like stuff. I like some stuff too, right? Yeah, if I'm brutally honest, it's, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm thankful I have a home. You know, you say, well, it's just material stuff, Dwight. Uh, just get rid of it. Eh, I don't want to get rid of it. I like my house. I like a bed, a soft bed to sleep in. Uh, anyway, you know, uh, we just, we're just kind of wired to this world. That's where we live. It's all we've ever known. The Bible is full, however, of examples where people have the wrong attitude towards the stuff of life. The Bible says, don't love the world, neither the things that are in the world. Uh, the issue becomes the love of your life. Where is your heart really at? Yes, we can use these things and praise the Lord for them. They're blessings from the Lord. But uh, we want to have the right attitude towards these things. As I say, the Bible is full of examples uh, of peril of putting wealth or materialism before God. Achan, back in the Old Testament, Joshua 6 and 7, coveted material possessions and put them before God. It was a disaster. Jesus told the story of the rich young ruler who had material wealth as his God and wasn't willing to exchange that for allegiance to the true God. Jesus told the parable of the rich fool who laid up treasure for himself and yet was not rich toward God. His whole life was was just focused on my stuff. I need bigger barns. We're going to get more and more. Ananias and Sapphira, very possibly, probably believers in the early church. They wanted to appear as bigger givers than they really were. So they lied about it and they died for it. People, including God's people, often struggle with having the right attitude towards money and material wealth. It's so hard because in this world, riches can buy you things. You understand this, right? You understand this from from little on up. Uh, Money can buy you things. Riches can buy you things. It gains access. It gains respect. It is a means of power, a means of getting stuff, etc. So the pull of riches is strong. And many Americans, I think, have special temptations and struggles here because we live in a context of great affluency in comparison to most of the rest of the world. Even our poor, by third world standards, would be considered wealthy, depending on on your context, of course. But when Jesus says to not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, again, he is dealing with a heart attitude, with a mindset. The key word here in verse 19 is... For yourselves. Uh, When the entire goal of laying up treasures has self in view, that's a problem. The Greek more literally says, do not treasure for yourself treasures on earth. That's a very literal rendering. Do not treasure for yourselves treasures on earth. Again, the issue is one of the heart attitude that treasures up treasures for self. This is loving treasures for self's sake, which is really 
about loving self. The prohibition to not lay up treasures on earth is a present tense imperative. Imperative is the idea of a command. It could literally be rendered, stop storing up treasures. This calls for a decisive break in the pattern of treasuring up treasure for self. It's the end goal. The end goal is I'm storing up treasure for self. Stop doing that, is what Jesus says. Now, the idea of treasure is that which is stored up, that which is considered valuable and therefore laid up or collected. Treasure refers to that which is considered precious or having great value. And again, Jesus is dealing with the inward attitude toward material possessions. You see, it's not wrong to possess earthly treasure, but it is wrong if the earthly treasure possesses you. And there is ever danger. Uh, People who treasure earthly treasures for self-sake also tend to lie about it. Uh, The sins of covetousness and lying, I think, make for pretty consistent bedfellows. And you don't have to have it to want it, to seek it, to desire it. Uh, You can love money without having it. That's why you want it so badly. Uh, Some time ago, a survey was done in which people were asked uh, how much annual income they would need to experience the quote-unquote American dream. Uh, those making about 100000 said they needed uh, about 192000 uh, to live the American dream. Those making about 50000 thought they needed about 100000 to live the American dream. And this was the consistent pattern. It seems that people consistently thought they needed about twice as much as their actual annual income in order to live the good life. You see, people seeking to lay treasures up on earth... I don't know that they're ever really satisfied. Years ago, I read about a very one of the wealthiest men in the United States in, in those days, years ago. And they asked him, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. <laughs> just a little bit more. In contrast, Paul said this. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, the verse that we're looking at, where Jesus says here in 6.19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, uh, this does not prohibit sensible provision. The wisdom principle of laying up food for later is seen in the activity of ants, which is commended in Proverbs chapter 6. It says to consider the ways of the ant and thereby be wise. It's wisdom. Uh, Look at the pattern of the ants. They're storing up uh, food for themselves here. Uh, There's some wisdom in that. Uh, Parents are told to lay up for their children. They ought to lay up for their children. 2 Corinthians 12, 14. We see this principle that Paul lays down for the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. That you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. Maybe we should focus on that phrase for just a moment. And to work with your own hands. Be hard workers. As we commanded you, that you may walk properly towards those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. Isn't that interesting? That you may lack nothing. This is why you're working. So that you may lack nothing. It doesn't, it says, well, you just all be beggars. Just give everything away and be beggars. No, no. 
No, work hard so that you are self-sufficient in that sense, that you may lack nothing. John MacArthur says, it is right to provide for our families, to make reasonable plans for the future, to make wise investments, to have money to carry on a business, to give to the poor, support the Lord's work. It is being dishonest, greedy, covetous, stingy, and miserly about possessions that is wrong. To honestly earn, save, and give is wise and good. To hoard and spend only on ourselves, not only is unwise, but sinful. There's the biblical balance as you consider the whole counsel of God. So this passage does not mean that it is sinful to have assets, as such as insurance, retirement plans, and saving accounts. After all, parents are to save for their children. Note, uh, Proverbs goes so far as to say this. Proverbs 13, 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Uh, so, you know, there, there is, you know, that can be a great blessing to uh, the descendants. And the uh, wisdom principle stated there. Well, Paul assumed that some believers would be wealthy. Uh, the warning is to not love money and to flee from its seduction, but it's not wrong to have it. And some believers will be wealthy. Um, let's see here. Too early for this next slide. Again, the, uh, the issue is our attitude towards the wealth. And the issue of life, as you study the scriptures, is all about being a good steward, a good steward of all that we possess. One of these days, you're going to be called up and you're going to have to give an account for how you have handled everything God gave to you. Life is about stewardship. And in the end, we will give a full account for all that God entrusted to us to use for him. And that's what he's, he's done. Anything that he's given you, uh, he's entrusting this to, into your care and saying, use it now wisely for me, for my glory. I, I'm in charge. I'm the master. This is not really yours. I'm just lending it to you to have you use it for me, for my glory. That which is hoarded for self, I think, is going to go up in a puff of smoke. Uh, yeah, you're really self-oriented in that. Uh, it counts for nothing in terms of eternal reward. That which is used for God has an eternal reward. Now let's look at this slide. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, uh, Paul writes, Command those who are rich, signifying there will be some believers who are rich. Uh, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, so don't get a big head, nor to trust in uncertain riches. Don't put your trust in it. But in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. So if God's given you a lot, be, be willing to share. Be a giver. Storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Verse 19 is really teaching the same thing that Jesus was teaching. Lay your treasures up in heaven. Same emphasis Jesus is making. Now in Hebrews chapter 13... Uh, the writer says, therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. God wants us to be uh, those who are givers, who are willing to share as we have been blessed. Now, the Bible doesn't say give up everything you have so that you have nothing. 
if that's what it means to be spiritual, then we should do this. Everything that I have, I'm now handing over to you and will be to you because you now have it. Now you can hand it back to me because if, you ha- if, if the Lord comes and you happen to have it, uh, it's, it's bad for you. So we can stand and hand it back and forth to each other, hoping we don't hold it when the rapture happens, right? Uh, we could do that. It's kind of like musical chairs. Only the one without the chair is the one with the money. You know what? That's not a balanced treatment of Scripture. The entire issue here is about one's attitude towards money. What's your God? What's your Lord? What drives you? Is it money, materialism? It's all about the attitude behind it. Well, the warning of Jesus is that treasures on earth don't last. If you give your life to this, you're going to be disappointed, certainly in the end. It won't last and you can't take it with you. It's all subject to decay. Moths eventually eat the finest of clothing. One way or another, it deteriorates. Uh, Rust eats away the most precious of metals. And thieves continually are in danger of taking what you have. John Phillips says, when accumulating earthly treasure, we must be aware of that which rots, that which rusts, and that which robs. In other words, nothing is safe or secure here. As Paul phrased it, uncertain riches. It's all uncertain. You may be rich today, but poor tomorrow. Riches are always uncertain. There's no security in material things or earthly riches. You can quickly lose it all. I like what uh, Corey Ten Boom said, hold everything in your hands lightly. Otherwise, it hurts when God prize your fingers open. And and isn't that the truth? Hold it lightly. You know, I'm just a steward of it anyway. Now, Hold it lightly, but hold it wisely, too. We want to be wise stewards. You're, think of the whole thing. We have responsibilities in this life, family responsibilities, etc. We need to pay our bills. Say, well, I gave it all away. Now I'm here, uh, I'm coming to the church uh, and asking if you have a benevolent fund to help me. Uh, well, maybe you should have been a little smarter over here. So there's a balance in these things. So Christ continues, verse 20. Don't lay your treasures up. He says in verse uh, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. But then verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Instead of focusing on laying up treasure for self on earth, make it your goal to lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. They're not safe or secure here, but they are in heaven. Uh, Treasures in heaven do not rust, and no one will ever steal them. Uh, There's no theft taking place in heaven. Well, this makes total spiritual sense. Why would we focus on earthly treasures that are so insecure and not focus on laying up treasure in heaven, which is completely secure for all eternity? Now, this is a no-brainer, spiritually speaking. And yet, amazingly, so many people who claim to be followers of Christ really don't seem to uh, follow this godly wisdom, at least not too far. Uh, Many professing Christians kind of want to have it both ways. Uh, They want to kind of have a mindset where, well, yes, I'm kind of, I'm focused on laying some treasure up for myself, but I'm also focused on saving a little treasure up in heaven. I kind of like to do it both ways, right? 
that's where a lot of people seem to be coming from. But you know what's really interesting here? Christ doesn't present a third option. He doesn't present a third option. Uh, notice uh, the overhead here. Christ says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. In contrast, he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. But he doesn't present a third option. Lay up for yourself treasures on earth and in heaven. Hey, we could live with that, right? Let's have it both ways. Let's have our cake and eat it too. Yeah. Nope. Jesus says, nope, that's not how it works. Now, Christ is going to emphasize in the following verses that you really can't have a heart that wants it both ways. You can only be all in in one direction, either towards God or towards materialism. Either your focus is to lay treasure up on earth for self or to lay it up in heaven. You can't have it both ways. To think you can is really to dispute what Christ goes on to say in verses 22 through 24. John Phillips says, the Lord told us to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. <clears throat> we do that by giving our time, talent, and treasure to forward God's interests on earth and to promote the coming of his kingdom. Now, here is something that is rarely seen, right? I'll bet you have never seen this. It's very rare, right? <laughs> you got a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. Now, that, that is kind of insanity, you know, what, 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 why? But you know, the pharaohs of Egypt, uh, they tried to take it with them as they were often buried with gold and treasures. They tried to take it with them into the afterlife. But as we look into their tombs, even today, what do we find there? The treasure is still there. It hasn't gone anywhere. And uh, their skeletons are now reduced to just bones and dust. All is still sitting in the grave. Uh, they did not take it with them beyond into the afterlife. Think about this irony. Gold is such a precious commodity on earth that some people have tried to take it with them even to the grave as the pharaohs did. But on the other hand, God uses it to pave the streets of heaven. You ever think about the irony of that? Revelation 21, 18, the construction. He's talking about the, the golden city, the new Jerusalem, which is, I, I've got my reservations in there. You have to get your reservations in, by the way. And I, I recommend that you get them in early. Because if you wait too long beyond this life, it's too late. Uh, you know, whoever is found written in the Lamb's book of life, that, that's who's a citizen of heaven. You have to have your name written down. You have to be saved. You have to come to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And as you do, you, you have a stake in this eternal city, the new Jerusalem. It says in Revelation 21, 18, the construction of its wall was of jasper. The city was pure gold like clear glass. I cannot imagine what this city is going to look like. I'm really looking forward to seeing it, though. It's going to be something. But then note, uh, verse 21 says the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was one pearl. Those are some kind of large pearls, right? Right. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Amazing, the irony here. Uh, what people give their whole lives for, trying to collect a little gold. You know, that's what God paves the streets of the New Jerusalem with. Now, when someone dies, the question is often raised, well, how much did he leave behind? And the answer is always everything. Yeah, all of it. You know, last, last Monday, I went up to see my dad, who's in a, 
in a nursing home, assisted living is where he's in an assisted living context. But uh, my dad loves black coffee. He doesn't want anything in it either, just black coffee. So, <laughs> well, on our, on our way into town, uh, we stopped at a place, a little quick shop type place just to get dad some coffee. As, you know, we like to take him some coffee. So as I went in there and I got the coffee, I went up to the cashier. There was a gal up there. And uh, so I'm putting in my card to pay for it. And she says, oh, no, you can't use the card unless it's more than $3 purchase. I said, well, it's coffee. It's got to be more than that. No, no. <laughs> it's under that. So she said, that, so she said, you got the money. And she said, uh, she launched into me. And, uh, and she's coming off in this kind of flirtatious way. She said, you got the money. And you can use money to have fun. And she's smiling at me. And, and I'm sitting there, wow. She's a young gal. I'm an old man. What's she doing? And uh, so she says, you know, when you die, you can't take it with you. You might as well have some fun with it. And she's saying this to me. And so I it was taken aback. And Janie was out in the car. I ran in to get some coffee. And uh, I said to her, I said, well, you know, it's true what you say. You can't take it with you. But I said, you can send it on ahead. And she looked at me like, what in the world are you drinking? It must be something stronger than coffee. <laughs> and I said, well, I said, do you know the, about the Bible? And she says, no, I don't know anything about the Bible. I said, well, Jesus in the Bible said that you can lay your treasures up in heaven. And so you're right. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead by using it for the glory of God. Conviction just fell over her face. I could see her whole countenance change right before me. No longer was she flirtatious. <laughs> and as she gave me my change back, she said to me, you got me good. That's what she said. You got me good. I happened to have given my tract away that I always keep in my pocket, so I didn't have a tract to give her. But I'm telling you, the next time I go into that store, I'm loaded with tracts. Uh, she's getting one, I'm telling you. Well, Howard Voss summarizes, laying up treasures in heaven involves using all of our talents, our material goods, our time, our energies in a way well-pleasing to God and beneficial to others. That's why we're here. It is shocking that people are not consistent with the teachings of Jesus. It's kind of shocking. I'm sure that I'm not more consistent with the teachings of Jesus. It's easy to preach to others. I always really... I want to preach to myself first and foremost. But, uh, you know, it is true. Often we kind of almost have to beg people to serve. You know, you can serve God. You can give of yourself sacrificially. Now, well, I'm too busy. I don't want to. What? We should think uh, we should be zealous to serve and thereby lay treasures up in heaven. Don't you want to lay treasures up in heaven? Yes, we should. Often the mindset is, well, I got my free ticket to heaven. You know, it's all grace. And it is. That's true. But now I'm just going to kind of veg for self here. Just kind of, that's not the idea. You're completely missing the point if that's the mindset. And sadly, the person who lives that way, when they finally check out of this life and, and they finally do get to heaven, you know what they're going to find in the heavenly bank account? Not much. Not much. They didn't lay their treasures up in heaven. They didn't listen to Jesus. They were living for this little life, which is like a vapor. 
I mean, very soon we're going on into eternity. How crazy is it to live for this life when there's a whole eternity ahead and you can lay treasures up for all eternity? It makes no sense to live for this life. I mean, this is a no-brainer. If you want a, a good deposit, if you want your bank account in heaven to look really good, the time to lay that treasure up up there is now. Once you die, it's too late. Now's the time to be investing. This is, these are investing years. And when you get to the end, you're going to see how you did. Lay your treasures up in heaven. William McDonald says, This teaching forces us to decide whether Jesus meant what he said. If he did, then we face the question, what are we going to do with our earthly treasures? If he didn't, then we face the question, what are we going to do with our Bible? Yeah, those are the questions. Here's what Jesus said. Luke 16, 9, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. Mammon is wealth or or, uh, material possessions. Make friends for yourselves by unrighteous men. Use these, the stuff of life, the, the financial resources you have to make, to make friends. That is to make fellow believers. That when you fail, that is when you die, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Boy, what a reunion that's going to be. You won these people and now there's this gathering on the other side. What, what a glorious reality. Second Peter says, verse one, uh, chapter 1, 10 and 11. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. If you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's a little known secret. There's a difference in how people go to heaven. Did you know that? So, well, they're all, and you know, you go to funerals. Everybody goes to heaven. That's what you would think if you go to the average funeral. And of course, even I don't say they, they didn't go to heaven. Uh, sometimes we just leave it out when we don't know. But, uh, but there's a difference in how people go to heaven. You see, those who have been faithful as good stewards will experience a grand entrance. An entrance will be supplied to you abundantly. A grand entrance. What Peter called an abundant entrance into the eternal kingdom. But for those who have not been good stewards... There is such a thing as losing your reward and being ashamed when you meet the Lord. Be wise. Listen to Jesus. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's where it's at. That's where the future is at. Invest in this life in light of eternity. And then Jesus states this abiding principle. Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice Jesus didn't say, where your heart is at, there your treasure will be also. He stated it the other way, in the sense that your heart follows where your treasure's at. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where your true treasure is at, that that is what is really precious and valuable to you. That is where your heart will be. People that live for themselves, that is people who live for stuff, people that live for fun and what this life has to offer, uh, it is abundantly clear where their true treasure is found. It's in the things of this life. It's in the here and now. They treasure these things 
And that's where their heart really is at. People that never have time to serve in the body of Christ. They never give sacrificially. They never take much interest in the things of God. In reality, they don't have treasure in heaven. Not much. Because it's obvious that their heart is not there. Their heart's not there. Because their treasure's not there. Their treasure's here. That's where my heart's at. It's all about this. It's good to take inventory. It's good for me to take inventory. And you. Where's my heart at? What do I really treasure? What are really the priorities of my life? What do I really value? You know, I think about life. You know, I'm getting older. I don't know if you notice this, but I'm getting older. And uh, I was a runner when I was in high school. And, you know, I was a unique runner. Not only did I look funny, I ran funny. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but what I did is I had a kick. I had a kick. And so I would just kind of, you know, follow the rabbits. But when we got, and I ran the mile. When we got to that last, you know, few hundred yards, my kick would kick in. And uh, when I run, won the races, which I did every once in a while, uh, I would k- get that kick going, and I would, I would come in in a good spot. I kind of think about life that way. I want to end my life with a kick. I don't want to go out, it was kind of a fizzle. I want to be going strong, you know, like the great heroes in the scripture, like Joshua and Caleb, like the apostle Paul. Uh, I want to end strong uh, for the Lord. Uh, Where's my treasure at? What do I really value? Say, Well, I'm going to kick strong and I want to go out a millionaire so the kids can fight over it. Yeah, that's a brilliant plan. That's a really great idea. It's a great investment of your time. Give your life and soul to that night and day. Uh, The kids will thank you. Right. If you're brutally honest, take, take out your checkbook. Where's your heart at? Oh, where's your treasure? Take a look at your calendar. Take a look at the commitments of your life. What on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? Now, people who give of themselves sacrificially, who are constantly serving, constantly available, always looking to help others, these are the people that give evidence that what they really treasure is a reward beyond this life. Their heartbeat is in trying to please God. They live for this. You know, Paul kind of summarized what drove him, the, the passion of his life in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, when he said, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. That's my whole goal in life, Paul says, is to be pleasing to the Lord. Ed Glasscock writes, The reality is that one will set his affections and design on those things that are most valuable to him. That's true. If one perceives earthly goods as a treasure, then his heart will focus on those things. Ah, so true. Now, sometimes people complain about serious Christians as being so heavenly minded, they're they're no earthly good. I always wonder about people that state that complaint. Really, it's backwards. In order to be really any earthly good, you have to be heavenly minded. I like uh, the quote from C.S. Lewis here at this point, where he said, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. 
It is since Christians have largely ceased to think about the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. And by the way, you know what the world is all about out here. It's agitation. Let's fight about all kinds of things political. Let's fight about all things related to this life and focus right here. That's not the mentality of Christians. We need to have a a broader perspective, living in light of eternity. And the world's going to fight until the death. There's always been uh, this kind of battle going on. What does Paul say in in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2? Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Set your mind. Liberty Bible Commentary says the only way man will overcome his natural inclination towards materialism and wealth is to place the priority of his possessions in heaven. Ah, yeah. Set your mind. Verse 22. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. Jesus here uses metaphorical language to illustrate the truth stated in verse 21. You see, the eye is the organ of perception. A good eye sees clearly and parallels a heart set on heavenly treasure. The issue being illustrated here is that of a spiritual focus. And spiritual focus is always related to motives of the heart. If our spiritual vision is good, the whole direction of our life, the whole body will be full of light. The whole of our activities and life direction will be affected in a good way in light of eternity. Now, various translations uh, translate here, I is good, as being clear, sound, or healthy. However, the King James translates the good eye as that which is single. In other words, it is singular in focus. A good eye is, is focused. It's singular in its focus. That fits the context here very well. In the matter of treasure, double vision sees nothing clearly. Blurred vision disables us from functioning properly and, in fact, is dangerous. Uh, James, kind of related principle here, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. You can't really be focused on the things of earth and the things of God at the same time. Uh, Double-minded, well, yeah, I'm all about the earthly treasure. No, no, I'm all about God. No, no, I'm all about... You're unstable in all of your ways. If our focus is on attaining earthly treasures, then our spiritual perception will be distorted. And the light of God's revelation related to an eternal perspective will be hindered. This is not spiritually healthy. An eternal perspective that focuses on heaven and eternity keeps everything in proper spiritual focus. Moody Bible Commentary says, Just as a healthy eye gives light to the body, so wholehearted fidelity to God gives meaning and light to one's life. Just as functioning properly in the body depends on good eyesight, so healthy spiritual living demands the right spiritual perception, which means living in light of eternity with an eternal perspective. Verse 23, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? There's an emphasis being made here. If the eye is bad, meaning it's unclear, blurry, then the experience of the entire body is that of darkness. If a person's spiritual eye, if you will, is focused on wealth and materialism, then their whole life experience is that of darkness. They don't see spiritual reality properly, and it affects their entire life. 
A person focused on attaining earthly treasures for the sake of self-fulfillment does not actually see light, but rather darkness. And note the emphasis. How great is that darkness? Boy, just imagine being a child of light and kind of giving yourself to the emphasis in terms of darkness. I mean, that's not seeing right. And you end up saying, wow, I squandered my life. I didn't see clearly. A materialistic view is a dark view. It's not enlightened. And this is no small thing. It affects the the whole of their life experience and has eternal ramifications. Warren Wiersbe, if our aim is to get material gain, it will mean darkness within. But if our outlook is to serve and glorify God, there will be light within. So Jesus was teaching that if a person looks upon the things of earth with a healthy spiritual perspective, then they will live in light of eternity. Laying up treasures in heaven. However, however, if a person looks upon the things of earth with an eye for laying up treasure for self, then they walk in spiritual darkness. And all is for naught. And just to be absolutely clear, Jesus then said, verse 24, and I think this is kind of the wrap-up of, of the flow of the thought here from verse 19 on. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't do it. Jesus made this an either-or matter. You can't have it both ways, which is consistently what people kind of want to do. The word master here is the Greek word kyrios, which is consistently translated as lord. Uh, Lord means master or owner, consistently denoting one that has authority over you. Curios always has this idea of authority, one who is master or owner. It's the idea of one who owns you and thereby has authority over you. And Jesus' point here is you can't serve two competing lords. Something has got to give. If this is Lord, then this isn't. If this is Lord, then this isn't. You can't have it both ways. You see, in the, in the Roman Empire, in the days of Christ, the population was made up of about, about half the population was slaves. And they understood this perfectly well, that a slave could only have one master. The slave-master relationship was that the master owned the slave. Went down to the slave market, bought that slave, you're coming home with me, I now own you. Very easy, simple concept. Liberty uh, Bible Commentary makes this uh, note. There is no passage or command anywhere in the New Testament asking the believer to make Christ Lord of his life after salvation. The very experience of receiving Christ as Savior is looked upon throughout the Scriptures as an acknowledgement of lordship or ownership. If perfect obedience were required in order to make Christ our Lord, he would be Lord of no one. And that's true. Uh, It's the fact that he is already Lord. To his. Now I just need to live consistently with the truth that I already acknowledge. He's already Lord that makes our disobedience so serious. As Lord and Master, he has the right to demand complete obedience. Single ownership and singular allegiance define the essence of slavery in the Roman Empire. And as a matter of principle, Jesus says that one cannot serve two masters Two lords. 
A person will either hate the one and love the other, or else be loyal to the, other, to the one and despise the other. You can't be loyal to two contrasting masters at the same time. You have to be on one side or the other. It's kind of like being married, right? I wouldn't even think this thought. But uh, if I came home and I said, Janie, uh, you know, uh, there's going to now be uh, another wife in my life. But you're going to still be there. You know, it's just unthinkable. You can't have it both ways. If this is my wife, then this one can't be. If this one is, then this one can't. It's going to be one way or the other. And that's the way it is with Jesus. John Walford says, necessarily a choice must be made. And they must either regard a master with love and obedience or with hate and disobedience. All this to say you cannot serve God and mammon. It's one or the other. It can't be both. Let's talk about the term mammon for just a moment. The term mammon is an Aramaic word which is personified as wealth or materialism. To serve wealth or materialism is to live for it. The sense here is to serve it as a slave. To serve it like it owns you. And in truth, something is going to own you. Either your money, God is going to own you, or the true God. That's the issue here. Mammon is here presented as a rival to the true God. Serving man, mammon and serving God are mutually exclusive. Therefore, to be a slave of mammon is really to be an idolater. Mammon has become then an object of worship that takes precedence over God. Can't have it both ways. You're either going to be sold out to serving God or sold out to serving wealth. It's one or the other. Either God will be served with single-eyed devotion or he won't be served at all. Divided loyalty when it comes to God is really a betrayal. God demands allegiance to him as master and he demands it to be to him alone. You say, well, who does he think he is? Well, he just happens to be Lord and God. Uh, And this alone is acceptable service to him. Evangelical commentary on the Bible says, while a servant may serve more than one master, a slave cannot. Divided allegiance between God and money is impossible. Well, let me ask you, who owns you? Who is your master? 1 Corinthians 6 19 and 20 answers the question, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have of God, and you are not your own? It's good to come back to that. You are not your own. Well, how'd that happen? Well, he continues, For you were bought at a price. You've been bought. You've been bought out of the slave market of sin by Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross, he died for you. He purchased you, lock, stock, and barrel. You now belong to him. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You can only have one Lord, one master. It's either going to be God or money. Now, it's fine to have money. So I already said, it's fine to have money. And I wouldn't get down and say, well, that person's got money. Uh, no, no, watch it. No, you're not judge and jury. You're certainly not God. I'm not either. It's fine to have money as long as it's not your Lord. We have to decide which we're going to serve. Will it be loyal allegiance to God as Lord or will money be our Lord? Talk is cheap, but God knows our hearts. He knows the reality beyond the rhetoric. 
Martin Lloyd-Jones told this story, kind of a funny story, but, uh, you know, it's just, a, it's just a story, but it makes a point. A farmer one day reported to his wife with great joy that his best cow had given birth to two twin calves, one red, one white. He said, you know, I've, I've been led of the Lord to dedicate one of the calves to him. We'll raise them both together, and when the time comes to sell them, we'll keep the proceeds that come from the one calf, and we'll give the proceeds that come from the other to the Lord's work. His wife asked which calf he was going to dedicate to the Lord. But he answered there was no need to decide then. We'll treat them both the same way, he said. And when the time comes, when we sell them, uh, as I said, we will make up our mind. Several months later, the, the man entered the kitchen looking very sad and miserable. When his wife asked what was troubling him, he said, I have bad news for you. The Lord's calf is dead. <laughs> but his, his wife remonstrated. You had not yet decided which was to be the Lord's calf. Oh, yes, he said. I always determined that it was to be the white one. And it is the white calf that has died. As someone commented, it's always the Lord's calf that dies. Well, that's certainly always the case if someone is serving mammon. Let me ask you three questions. Number one, where is your treasure? Show me where your heart's at, and I'll show you where your treasure's at. Number two, how is your focus? Do you have single-eyed devotion for the things of God? And number three, who or what is your master? Is Jesus Lord or is money? Jim Elliott wisely stated, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Boy, there's a statement for the ages. The story is told, it's just a story, it's a little parable story. The story is told of a man who was sitting all alone one day when suddenly a genie appeared. This is just a story. Uh, suddenly a genie appeared and offered to grant him any one wish. The man loved wealth and riches, so instantly he said that he'd like to be provided the stock market report one year in advance. In a split second, he had it in hand. A newspaper dated exactly one year into the future. Sitting down, he began to read, convinced that with this inside information, he'd be able to quickly amass a great fortune. But just as he began to scan the stock report, his eye fell on something across the page, about halfway down the third column. It was his own obituary. Yeah, we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammon. Which is it going to be? You're going to have to make a choice. And he said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So let me ask Dwight, where is my treasure? Where is my treasure? Let me ask Dwight, where is my heart? Maybe you want to ask yourselves those questions as well. Let us choose wisely. May God help us to focus on the treasure, the true treasure that will last for all eternity. Let's stand and have our closing song.